Hello and welcome to another episode of Rocklass Radio. This is a show where we discuss inspiring personalities and interesting things. I'm your host Tanmay Shah, an NFT artist, entrepreneur with diverse business experience. This show is self-sponsored, so if you have been seeing this show and if it's adding value, uh, you can check out and buy my NFTs, and you can also become my patron. If you are new to the channel, please uh, make sure you subscribe and share this episode with your friends, and do check out the earlier episodes. You are most welcome to join our weekly Twitter Spaces that happen on Saturdays every week. Where you will see it's called NFT for all. Here you will see amazing artworks. Many collectors come by. Uh, we discuss NFT insights. We have music, jokes, and much more. It goes on for twelve hours. So no matter your time zone, you can definitely join in whenever you can. So you can directly talk to me. Have any questions? You can discuss there. And see you there then. Today's and. For today's show, we have a very special guest. We have with us Lord Truffington, who is a well-known uh, collector and now recently an artist as well, uh, an NFT creator. So, Lord Truffington is an entrepreneur and a former former institutional investor. Lord Truffington has been an active and has been active in the NFT space since early 2021. He soon discovered a passion for arts and has uh, been since avidly collecting NFTs from both established as well as emerging artists, uh, with wide range of interests spanning from digital art to photography. And I'm sure you can see his collection when you visit those online uh, galleries that he has created. Lord Ruffington's mission has now become too broadly promote crypto art and bring awareness to NFTs, to art world and beyond. Um, he is an advisor to NFT platforms and marketplaces, NFT projects and a curator for digital and physical exhibitions. He will also be a speaker at NFT London, which is upcoming up. I'm very excited to see him in real life there. So Lord Ruffington, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hello, hello, um, GM. I was saying, GM. And, uh, thank you very much for having me here. It's a, it is a pleasure. So, how do you say in your native? Do you say ciao? I, I heard you're from you Italy. You say ciao. See, yes, exactly. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, or you would say buongiorno. Uh, buongiorno. buongiorno. The GM is uh, our original Italian GM. All right. So you definitely must be enjoying a pizza. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, we I'm very excited for this because you have been an entrepreneur now into NFTs. And I want to start with a question that my mother asked me to ask you when I was telling her that uh, Lord Tuffington is going to be there in the oh, show. So okay. she was like, ask him, why did he leave his stable job and income and come to NFTs? Oh. Oh my goodness, uh, it's a very good question uh, and it is, uh, believe me, not just your mother, uh, pretty much everyone has been asking me that question for the last, in the last two years. Um, I, so it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting story. Let me take you back uh, uh, a little bit uh, a few years ago, for a few years ago. 
I am a person that loves challenges. That I am definitely a risk taker. Um, I have uh, um, I started my career twenty plus years ago in uh, finance, uh, banking, hedge funds, and uh, and there uh, beside uh, I think learning how to you know work properly, hard and well. You also um, I think gain an understanding of risk rewards for. Um, whatever you get involved with. And uh, I'm not just talking about um, making an investment where there is a very clear, tangible and measurable uh, outcome and a cost, initial cost, and you can compare those two. But in general, in, uh, in your life, in everything, everything that you do, there is, a, um, there is a cost, there is an opportunity cost, which is what you are not doing by doing what you're actually, you know, in the, engaged with in the moment, and there is a potential outcome in what you are, uh, what you can uh, wish or hope to to get in a more or less realistic way. And I've always looked at my life in those uh, in those terms. So, um, what are my options, and what are the outcomes of all the different options? And the stable job, to put it like that, is always one that. Uh, uh, it's always one that um, has a uh, probably the lowest cost because you ultimately are in a job that is somewhat secure and you get paid a salary that is always the same every month. Um, but it also is one of the options that has the lowest possible outcome or uh, reward um, at the end. Like I've always, since I was actually a teenager, I've always looked at when I do something in the best case scenario, what do I get from this? And when you have very often a normal stable job uh, and you uh, put together and you, you kind of look at that kind of uh, framework, the outcome is that you probably next year, you're still going to earn the same money you're earning now. You're still going to be in a very similar role and that's it. Not much will have changed professionally or financially, economically, uh, because that's what happens when you are in a stable job. And, uh, and so I always try to take the risks or the right risks in my head, in my mind, um, to be able to maximize that potential outcome at the, at the other end. Uh, and, and so um, again, after 10 plus years in finance, I completely changed careers. I jumped ship. I decided to start a business, a tech startup, um, and um, founded a tech business uh, in the recruitment space and uh, um, had that for about six years. Um, we grew, we grew, the company became quite successful. We raised you know, considerable amount of funds uh, from VCs, institutional investors, and private angels. And then, uh, um, then the business started to decline a bit. And when COVID hit, the recruitment space was absolutely uh, annihilated. And so the business had some serious problems. And at the end of 2020, I decided to move on and um, do something else. And that's when I discovered NFTs. So beginning of 2021, I found this new world and uh, I saw that this was in my head, a, it looked like a really good bet to take. 
And so I went all in and um, almost two years later, I'm still here and uh, the market conditions have changed significantly. Uh, but uh, we're here fighting every day to bring more awareness and to bring uh, NFTs and crypto art to the, to the, to the masses. So what, what made you interested in NFTs? Because there's a whole different crypto market and now there is NFTs. So yeah. yeah. So I wasn't a crypto bro. Um, you know, I wasn't someone that was in crypto from very early on and I had, uh, you know, uh, knowledge and capital made through crypto to invest. So I'm maybe on, on that, that those regards, I'm a little bit different. I read an article about MBA Top Shot. That was my beginning, my, my foray into the NFT world. Um, I read an article about MBA Top Shot and... Um, and uh, they were referring re referring to the crypto kitties because it's the same companies as uh, Roam and and Dapper. Um, and uh, I, and I remember crypto kitties. I remember reading about them on the paper and and talking like the largest majority of people like what's wrong with people paying hundred thousand dollars for a picture of a cat? Like there must be something really wrong with these people, or they are just filthy rich and they don't care, they don't understand what they're doing. Um, obviously, that's, uh, that's, the first, uh, that's the first reaction that you have without actually really knowing more or without caring to know more, to learn more. Um, and I read about that and uh, I saw that as a new um, evolution of the collectible market, but also of the art market. As I started then read, I did a bit of reading and research and, you know, digging a little bit deeper. And I thought that that, that was actually the, the evolution of what we have. Um, and, and so I got involved. And then when you get involved, which I always say to everybody, like, how do you start? Well, buy something. Um, get some skin in the game because that's that it will force you to actually really pay attention and really get into the weeds of what's going on. Um, and after I started doing that, the more I read about NFTs and the more I fell in love with them. I fell in love with uh, the long term. Uh, the long-term applications of NFTs. I consider NFTs basically as a building block. And one NFT is just a technology that is a, a new-ish application of the blockchain. Blockchain as a technology is, is fantastic. It's absolutely, it will become ubiquitous. It will be everywhere in 20 years time. Um, NFTs are an application of the blockchain to a hundreds or thousand uh, real life use cases and uh, crypto art was um, something that was very easy to um, it's very easy to understand and to grow to, to gain uh, um, awareness and market share because it's because it's a simple concept it's a digital piece of art on the blockchain uh, you know if if I told you you know if it talk to you about um, having your passport as an NFT, it might be a little bit more difficult to understand how that can develop, etc. You buy a JPEG on a blockchain, it's actually quite 
quite simple to understand. And whenever there is a new technology, the simpler the the, the simpler things are the one that the simple things are the one that tend to get adoption first uh, because they are simple. Exactly because of that, it's a very like basic um, um, like notion of of uh, product uh, adoption of technology, new technology adoptions, um, and so. And, and I saw, you know, I believe in NFTs as a technology across the board and also, and also very much uh, in the art, um, in the art um, um, environment, in the art world as a, as a evolution of the a true digital renaissance. You're from the investment banking view. And in NFTs, there are two kind of things. One, one is art and the other one is the collectible projects, which are more like a business and which can be seen more like a stock or a share of a company. So from your investment uh, background, did you venture in first into collectibles or did you come oh. directly into the art or how was the process? Oh, no, I was, um, I was hundred percent a trader at the beginning. Um, I got in the world, into this world as a trader. Um, and last year I traded everything, um, oh. from late learn games to probably a, a good 80% of all the PFP projects, uh, minting, trading by, by rarities, sell rarities, looking for whatever that opportunity, the trading opportunity. And, um, and, uh, that was, uh. Yeah, it was something that I, I loved, but what happens as it always happens is, uh, the more you are involved into something, the more you start to, um, learn about that particular thing and also everything that is adjacent that is around and the crypto art, you know, I, I got, um, I started on nifty gateway. Actually, uh, my first uh, piece was a anime by too much lag. Um, the fantastic OG, um, creator, NFT creator and, and super talented, um, um, the 3d designer and, and, and graphic designer. And it's, uh, he, um, and, and, you know, initially I bought that NFT, um, probably to trade. Um, I read, I read about that project and I was interested in like, this is going to go up, but there are different phases in the projects and actually I still have it. Um, I haven't, I haven't traded it. I haven't sold it. Um, the, the interesting, uh, so the interesting point is, um, for me w was very important to get, um, to be able to use my credit cards to buy um, my NFTs because I wasn't a crypto, um, expert or a crypto native. And so, um, NBA top shot first had the non ramp with the credit card and then nifty gateway immediately after I discovered nifty and nifty, I still have my credit cards on nifty. I still use my credit cards there. Um, and, uh, and, and that obviously made a very big difference because it allows everybody to bring uh, to get into this world without having to go through the headaches of setting up a MetaMask, which I've done obviously at some point, but I have to say it's not, it's a massive barrier to entry now. Um, but definitely the beginning was trading. Then uh, I started to develop the love for the arts. Wow. So what do you still do training or it's completely into art now? 
Um, almost never, almost no trading at all. I, I, I do buy some things. I, I don't trade, I, I, I'm selling. So I, I join some PFP uh, or bigger projects uh, because I know the people. Maybe I buy some and I, I, I keep some others. So I try to get liquidity. It's not trading, it's liquidity. It's a way to get some liquidity. It's not actually actual trading. Um, yeah, yeah. So on this show, we we like to know more about the guests that we normally don't get to hear on Twitter Spaces. So can we dive deeper into your life and uh, your backstory of you becoming Lord Toffington? And oh, your- yeah. I I have to say one, one day, uh, that's a running joke with all my IRL friends. Uh, one day I will have to write a book about the thousand lives that I have uh, that I have lived, uh, I've done. Uh, I'm a, I'm a um, dangerously curious person. I love uh, to learn new things. I love to, yeah, I love to learn anything. I mean, I read in my spare time books on neuroscience, uh, on. Uh, evolutionary psychology on uh, well art on on like the most disparate subjects and topics i love to learn and uh, and i love to dive into things that i don't know anything about and and learn them i see them as a challenge um uh i i've, I've always been like that i think i took this from my my mother and uh is um yeah, so I started in investment banking. I was uh, very much a finance boy. Um, loved loved it. Loved it. I was working for a big, uh, one of the top um, U.S. investment banks. Um, in London or in Italy? Where were you? I, no, in London. I've been in London since 2001. Um, actually, funny story. I came to London five days after 9/11. Oh. 2001. Uh, on the 16th of September, uh, no, uh, sorry, um, yeah, on the 16th of September, uh, five days after 9-11, and I came here to do an, an exchange program uh, with my university from Italy. And uh, when uh, 9-11 happened, and I had already been to London in the, the previous summers to learn English, because in Italy, the English that you learn at school is actually very poor. And that's one of the, and we don't have English TV or we didn't have any English TV. So it's one of the reasons why Italians um, on average cannot speak any foreign language because it's just what it is. And so I used to come to London in the summers to do like random terrible jobs to just be able to be here for a month or two and learn the language. And then when the opportunity came in my university to do an Erasmus, to do an exchange program, there were only two spots for the whole university. I, I really worked so hard to try to get into that, and I got my spot. Um, and then uh, 9-11 happened, and in the following few days, I had um, uh, quite a few people that called me and at home. At the time, we didn't have mobile phones, right? They would just call at home, the, the home phone. And, and say, oh, we're so sorry that you can't go to London. And I was like, several people. And I'm like, why, why can't I go to London? Well, I mean, if we don't, what has happened in New York? I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, they say that London can be next. 
And I'm like, yeah, maybe, but I don't care. I mean, of course I'm going to London. Like, even if it had already happened, I would still be going to London. Like, I don't care. I will not take the tube. I will just, I walk everywhere, but I don't care. There is not even a question in my head as to whether to go or not go. Um, This one, I've always been in love with London. Um, and uh, so I came to London, and my 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 passion was always uh, to work in investment banking. Um, it was something since I was a teenager in high school. I wanted to do that for reasons that were completely different than than reality. Like I thought in my head, I thought that the job was something different, and you know. So what what did you think? What was the expectation? Yeah, it, sorry. It's not the expectation. I was I was fascinated by mergers and acquisitions, like being there and deciding who needs to buy what, and uh, and you know, like oh, this bank bought this other smaller bank. It's like I want to be there, you know, and helping and advising. And yeah, I mean, when you join a job job an investment bank in in that in that area, what you do most of the time is pie charts and Excel models and that's it. Like the strategic thinking. It comes 20 years later. It doesn't come in <laughs> the beginning. So as a, as a junior analyst, you know, sitting at your desk at, at two in the morning, because those are the kind of uh, working hours that you do there every single day. It's uh, you're there creating pie charts and presentations, and uh, it's quite it's quite funny. Uh, but I loved it. I loved it, and I was very proud of where I was. And so I started in London, and then because I get um, uh, I always, you know, like to do new things. So I ended up moving. Uh, I ended up moving to New York with the same bank to in a completely different area. I was in uh, uh, on the trading floor. Um, I was actually in a in a well, without going to technically in a proprietary trading desk. So we were basically trading with the money of the bank, uh, which is a very prestigious job. Uh, but and it was in New York in Wall Street. But it wow. was in 2008. So, 2008. That, oh, <laughs> not very well. I got <laughs> I got to New York at the end of 2007, and as I got there, um, I was delayed. I was supposed to be there earlier, a few months earlier, but for some technical reasons, I got delayed. And um, by the time I got to New York, I realized that there was the beginning of a massive crisis. Basically, we would see that it's like a tsunami was about to hit, but the only thing you could see was just uh, at the horizon, you could see this massive wave that was building up. And it's like, oh, this is going to come to us now. Uh, So I spent a year in New York, and it was a life experience. I mean, I have probably I could write a book about just that year, seen from the inside. And... uh, yeah, I've a um, very, very interesting life experience. Um, one I would not want to repeat, but but still fantastic. Can you uh, share a story? Can you share a story from that time? Uh, because you are at the epicenter of that uh, that yeah. event that has gone in history now, the whole year. Uh, not I, I was in the epicenter. Uh, geographically, I was actually in one of the main epicenters of the local epicenters because I was in this top top investment bank. Uh, 
at the very top floor of uh, this massive huge building where the trading floor was. Would and, you like uh, to name the mention the name the bank? No, I will not name the bank, but it's one of the very big ones. There are there are four or five, so yeah, one of those. And uh, <laughs> I was at the very top floor, and uh, in this in these uh, uh, yeah, on my floor there were probably two thousand traders. Like it's quite incredible how many people you can fit in a. No, I don't know. Maybe not two thousand. No, maybe maybe less. But there were a lot of people because. It's like a, a cramped up. yeah, very cramped and etc. And uh, and you can feel what's going on in the market on the trading floor. Like in a moment where you know there were a few days that were really really tricky. I mean, uh, apart from after Lehman went down, Lehman Brothers went down, there were some moments where you know everybody was a risk. Everything was a risk. Actually, people don't even realize how serious what happened in 2008, how serious it was for the world stability. You know, I I worked in this in this space for a long time, and 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 sometimes I get well during that time I got really annoyed at how um, people on the outside were very easy to cast a judgment on the banks and accusing the banks of a lot of things without understanding what important role these players and these institutions actually play in the market. Like everything that you do is based on a banking system. The reason why they say it's too big to fail, etc., and all is because they actually are really important for the financial stability, your ability to go and buy a loaf of bread in the, in the store is because you have a credit card and there is an account that is based on some, someone's servers and if there is a problem there, you don't have access to that. You are screwed, not just the bank. Um, so it was a very, very important uh, moment in time, and uh, and you could feel the you could feel the the silence. Sometimes there was there would be almost an artificial silence that would drop. You would have all the screens with Bloomberg's and and all the the various channels that were. They would talk, but you could hear the traders basically whispering very, very softly because no one actually even wanted to just say something loud because people were seriously scared. Um, incredible. Or when, uh, without going into the details, but when something really big happened that saved, seemed to save the day that our CEO basically did. And... Uh, and and the day after the CEO walked, the the CEO came to a meeting on my floor, the CEO of the bank, and as he stepped out of the lifts, um, the whole floor stood up and gave him a standing ovation. But I I still I have goosebumps in the remembering that moment. It was in, incredible. Like this is that that is the finance or corporate finance and the highest possible levels it's uh it's difficult to describe and uh, you know if you, i could give more details maybe it could be a bit easier but in general i would say it, it's when there is one man and one deal that actually manages to create a that's a ripple effect that affects the whole economy mm -hmm. it's um it's really 
difficult to overestimate the importance of certain things. From the outside, you might not see them. You might, okay, yeah, this is just a deal that someone did. Uh, it's just a, a round of funding that, uh, I don't know, a company did, and it doesn't matter. But the reality is that it matters massively because if that hadn't come through and the company had gone down, bankrupt, for instance, the ripple effect, it would have taken down half of the financial system and things like this. Wow. So amazing. So that was incredible life experience, very, very hard personally. You you mentioned about the credit card. So just to the viewers, yeah. like imagine our all the our whole data about our bank accounts, all these all our money is just numbers now. So imagine those servers going down. There is, <laughs> a, there, is a, there is something. There is a very scary thought that we don't that we don't really understand. Um, okay, let me let me let me let me just take a slight side tangent. Um, I had a lot of people telling me, oh, but crypto is, is bullshit. And I'm like, why is that? Oh, because it's fake money. And I was like, well, what does it mean is fake money? Well, it doesn't exist. And I'm like, okay, do you actually think that your sterling pounds, your savings are actually in a physical vault in banknotes at the bank? They're like, oh, no, no, but, you know, they are in a bank account. I'm like, but the bank account is not real. It's not real. It's actually, exactly. I, don't, I don't, I don't have the data, but I think 10%, probably more of the global money is actually exists in a cash format. Like money don't exist either. They are a <laughs> money. They exist in, in a digital form. Like a cryptocurrency exists in digital form, there is no difference, and there is a um, there is a um, social construct that this money have this this unit of money has a certain value, and is accepted internationally that has a certain value. But that's it. Now the fact that your money don't exist creates a heap of potential problems. Now, when a bank, we had, we had a bank here in the UK called Northern Rock, which went bankrupt in uh, 2007, I think. Um, before the and, crisis. Sorry? <laughs> before, the, before the crisis of 2008. Just so. before, the, yeah, it was at the beginning. Uh, yeah, I think it was, I think it was 2007. And, uh, it, but it was the beginning and they, um, you know, there was a so-called run on the bank. Like the, a bank, a normal commercial bank where every one of us has the, our money, has only a, let's say 10%, it's actually a bit less, but 10% of the actual money that they have received from their deposit holders. So what this means is that if tomorrow people want to go to the bank and say, I would like my money back, back. in cash, they will not be able to take anything out. Like this is something that I am, when I speak to people, like I, this is something that people don't know. Like, your bank does not have your money. Your bank, if you want to take your money out tomorrow, will not be able to pay you your money. 
They don't exist in a cash physical form. They do not exist. They do not exist any more than an Ethereum that you can cash out an Ethereum. You can't, and you can't cash out your dollars, your your euros, your pounds either. Or rather, if you are talking about a very small amount and you're the first one in the line, you can. Uh, if you're talking about $50,000 in cash and there are, you know, uh, 10 hours of queue in front of you, no chance. This had happened in this had happened once in India also. There was a scam, uh, Nirav Modi scam, and there was a bank involved called PNB Bank. And when the news came out to the market, all the customers of that bank wanted to go and get their money out from the bank. The What's government that? had to government had to step in and stop that from happening, and of course bail out the bank and use taxpayers' money for that. But as you said, it's not possible to go and encash your money. And before before it used to be backed by gold. So it's not that you're going to get to give your currency and get some gold or other valuable things also. For it. I, technically, <laughs> I, I mean, I know we don't, we don't want to get on probably on uh, talking about, you know, the economy. Uh, but that's pretty much the same also for central banks. Like the overall, you can't go to the U.S. government and say, oh, now we want to get paid all our money back. Uh, that's the same thing. Um, it, it's just we are we built these, uh, these uh, sometimes feels like a house of cards or, a, or a, this mirror, house of mirrors where, you know, it seems there is money here, but there's a mirror and there's money here. Yeah. And then in reality... Yeah, probably a lot. It's of- just credit. Every credit creates some new money. So we are just living in a world of credits. It's um, each yeah. people lending to each other. It's uh, if you if you learn and spend a bit of time actually really thinking about this, there is something fundamentally wrong in our economy and the way that for the last hundred years we have been running our economy. There is some. There is something so fundamentally wrong that at some point, you know, when um, I don't know, let me give an example. The ICOs of 2017, and today you look back. It's only four or five years later. You look back and say, "Oh, of course they were all scum." You know, how can you how can you think that all of this money can be created like that? Sure, I agree. In 50 years' time, we look back and like, of course, the financial system that you had at the end of the 20th century was like. Bullshit. I mean, come on. How can it? How can it be possibly sustainable to go on to sustain an economy just by printing more money and taking more debt? Who, who the hell is he ever going to repay that debt? Mm-hmm. We are in that stage. I mean, I think that people are starting to realize that. And crypto. Do you think crypto will solve? Yeah. Do you think crypto will solve the issue? Uh, I think crypto will be one of the solution, whether it's the current crypto or an evolution of crypto could be one of the solution. There are always a lot of issues with uh, decentralization that, you know, decentralization is all, uh, is always fine. Uh, but but it's uh, it's something that we don't I don't think we fully understand the decentralization and we fully appreciate what it really means for everybody. Um, and 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 you know I am for instance I'm not a 
don't know if I should say this, but I'm not a massive fan of DAOs. I'm not, I don't fully believe in the, um, I don't, I actually, I don't believe in the concept of a DAO where everybody votes on decisions. Because, Why do you think so? Um, everybody has, um, how, how rude can I be on, on, on this, uh, on this show? Take it, take it. I mean, okay. there's no limit. The yeah. thing is that, uh, opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. Okay. <laughs> now the fact that you have an opinion, and this is a problem, this is a really big problem with, uh, social media that social media has created over the last with web 2.0 web 2.0 was, I think that the main change in Web 2.0 was the creation of social media, social media platforms. Social media platforms have given anyone, everyone and anyone, a voice. Now, what has happened is that, that this created the false belief that just because you have a voice, you need to use it, number one. And just because you use your voice and you express your thought and your opinion, you have the right to be listened to. Now, this second step is a very, very fundamental flow of um, our current society, in my view. So when, just because you have an opinion on something, it doesn't mean that that opinion is a, um, a knowledgeable expert opinion on that particular topic. So, if you, you know, you don't do brain surgery by consensus. You take a brain surgeon that is, that is trained for 10, 15 years, that has maybe operated for another 10, 15 years, that has a cumulative experience of decades. And if you have to be the, the patient and you want that person to come there and operate on your brain, if they need to remove something or they need to do something, right? You want someone that understands everything that goes on and around and that can do it. But don't you think choosing government is something like DAO, where not everybody, not the whole population is an expert in political science or knowing affairs of the state, but still they have their opinion and then that counts. And overall, generally the masses the... tend to choose. Okay. The... The government, well, democracy is uh, probably the only example of um, consensus driven uh, uh, decision making. And even, okay, and uh, I think that I don't remember was a French philosopher. I don't remember actually, the, don't remember who, but they said that democracy is the um the least uh the least of the evils um democracy is not as far from perfect and yeah i agree personally i would have a, a kind of reduced uh number of voters for certain things but i <laughs> I, I, I agree I, I agree with that um but what happens in democracy is that you don't take every decision you vote a representative and the representative based on their own expertise and experience go and vote uh, in parliament in a re reduced um, 
you know, look, I, I live in the UK. Um, the UK was given, was put, uh, the UK population was asked to vote in a referendum whether they had to leave the, UK, the Europe. Okay, it is the biggest cock up in the history of this country. <laughs> we just realize over time. We are already realizing now if you're in the UK and you, and you need a nanny, if you need a builder to do some work at home, if you need to uh, um, uh, go to a restaurant, all of these activities are were were or a nurse in hospitals, they relied on uh, foreigners, qualified foreigners coming to the UK and working as builders and nurses, as nannies, as carers, etc., uh, or waiters. Okay. Today, everybody's struggling. So um, the cost of uh, your home renovation have gone up by three, four hundred percent because there aren't people doing it. And we are paying, we in the UK, we are paying the result of a very ill-advised referendum. <laughs> now, what happened in, uh, in uh, if you look at any corporate uh, level, any corporate in the world, they are not, they don't operate as a democracy. And leaving aside the concept of uh, salary, salary, salary uh, disparity between the lowest paid and the highest paid, etc., they don't operate as a democracy primarily because you need a certain level of expertise and experience in certain things. Like what you can see as uh, from your standpoint without the necessary expertise, it could be the right thing, but nine times out of 10, it's not. So you should not vote on the strategy of the company because you are maybe an admin in a in, I don't know, in the claims department. You <laughs> don't have, but it's not, this is, it's not a judgment or you just don't have the view of everything that is going on to be able to take a decision. Like if you are a nurse in, this, in the same hospital, you should not comment on how to do the brain surgery because you don't have the expertise to do that. So don't you think DAOs can evolve and have a better system like the governments where the voters can select a few members who will take the decision or who can be there uh, there to run the DAO. Doesn't need to be for every single issue you call a voting or referendum, isn't it? Sure, of course, of course. And I, I, of course, and I think that's the, I think I don't like the way the DAOs are today. And I don't like, I'm, I'm a very pragmatic, I'm incredibly pragmatic. And uh, I don't like the idealistic talks that a lot of people do saying, you know, power to everybody with DAO, everybody decides everything because that ne will never work. Will really never, ever work. Um, but there are a lot of structures that are evolving now and DAOs are a fantastic, um, they are a fantastic tool and organization. They will become better and better. I'm just saying that today, how a, the majority of DAOs are organized they are not, there's always someone calling shots uh, and or they're, yeah. Yeah, or you you elect people and then it's still the same five guys or five people calling <laughs> It's shots. usually the one who is proposing that DAO is some, he's taking the decisions, isn't it? So have you, have you burnt your fingers in any of the DAO projects or? No. You're I just away, yeah. Okay. I I haven't no I haven't directly um, no 
I'm aware of a lot of them, but well, you see, a lot of the DAOs, I've been asked to join a lot of DAOs, and a lot of times what I see, I, it does not convince me. I'm not, no. Um, so I, I haven't, on that, on that standpoint, I, I, I haven't. I don't, you know, maybe there will be something interesting at some point. Um, and to be fair, I also talk without having such a deep knowledge of all of this, okay? I, I just need to admit, it's not that I have spent a year looking at DAOs. But every now and then, you just pick up certain things of how, especially mm. when there are new DAOs, I'm like, oh, this is how we're going to run. We have 30 people and we're all going to decide on what we need to do. I'm like, no, you can't. You can't. Like design by consensus or decision by consensus doesn't work. It takes too much time, first of all, isn't it? But also, um, it's, not, it's not efficient. This is, this, by the way, this was the same problem we were saying about social media. It's just, you, you can have an opinion on everything. It's fine. You are entitled to your opinion. But it doesn't mean that just because you have the opinion, the opinion is worth anything. It, be, it becomes like a media trial of some case, which is actually we supposed to get justice from the courts. Yeah. The media start deciding what is good and we are, the, and only the are. people who make money out of it is the platforms like Twitter and Facebook. Obviously, obviously. <laughs> no, in, in general, I think this this created. Um, I've actually seen this even in the workplace when I had a big team at some point. A big team. I had uh, 35 people working working in my team. So you know, it's a, it's a team. It's not just a couple of you know a couple of people in a garage. You have a team. You have structure. You have layers. You have uh, you have different you know teams with the managers, etc. And sometimes you had like people that would I don't know like make comments that you know juniors that had just joined the team. And they would make some comments about how, why we should do certain things. And I'm like, but <laughs> like, it, I, I it doesn't... The, the, the enthusiasm. And I appreciate that you want to contribute. And I'm happy to, you know, for you to comment on this, but I, you know, yeah, does it work out without the credibility yeah there is a difference and you just join out of university and you and you think we need to go in this direction and someone that does this as a job and has been doing it for 10 15 20 years with advisors that were even more experienced like <laughs> not the same level like it just it can't be it shouldn't be at the same level otherwise what's the point of of having any sort of experience. Let's just, just roll the dice. There will always be someone that will have, uh, there will always be someone that will have a certain opinion about something. So it's random, it becomes random. You I, know, I, I think we really went super off the tangent with, <laughs> with this topic. No problem, no, it's okay. This is, this is a free talk just for that. But just uh, to conclude that point, uh, Mr. Ratan Tata, who is now the host company who now owns the Jaguar uh, Land Rover of uh, UK. Yeah. He says you need to be more closer to the younger generation to know the future. To be closer to the future, you need, need to work with 
at the closer generation so i think it needs to be a balance of experience as well as new energy and thoughts coming in isn't it because crypto and all these things are very new isn't it somebody who's having 50 60 years of experience not 50 60 30 40 or whatever might not be able to or willing to digest the ideas and take a turn from this isn't it like like warren buffett like what 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 are his views on crypto and nfts negative <laughs> very bad exactly <laughs> i i like i agree i i'm not saying let me let me be clear i am not i i don't want to sound like a luddite that that does not want to you know any sort of technological progress or i i really i'm i'm far from i'm far from that i'm really far from that uh and uh what what i'm saying is that i think that there needs i think we are i think we have entered a state of uh, or a phase of our society where not we are de-emphasizing the value of experience and expertise okay and that is really annoying me <laughs> and you know it's not uh, sure anyone can like i'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to someone young i mean my old yeah my old company it was about young people helping young people so i'm all for that and i've done it actually for 6 years but i don't uh, i don't think we can i think we are discounting too much um the again yeah the value of of lived experience and uh, and expertise no we do value you know that's the reason for doing this podcast and having so experienced people like you coming in your experience in life from other fields also helps us in apply those ideas in our current situations or challenges so that's what was my next question from your all these years of experience in entrepreneurship and in investing what are the tips or uh, lessons you would like to share for us to implement now about uh, what that is very very open so in, let's let's uh, talk about nft as an industry mm. um again uh There's a million things that one can say. Like, okay, so let me yeah, let me probably, press. Probably, um, I I would say it's um. I'll make it easier for you. Talk. You were into investment and returns, right? So tell us about money. How to manage money and how to invest it in a place so that it's the best. It gives the best returns. Okay, so this this is even harder to say. Uh, <laughs> okay, so first of all, what I want to do, what I want to say, the the, the previous thing was that um, we we are in a very nascent industry in a in a space that is very new, and uh, it this space to develop and grow and uh, become really mainstream relies on each and every one of us to do our part we are a movement we are a new trend we are 
a new um, fresh way of looking at things from DAOs to um, I mean anything, even just this crypto, even though it's 10 years old, um, it's still relatively new. And it depends on us to um, evangelize other people and explain uh, with a lot of patience um, what's happening and why this is worth um, fighting for. And it depends on each and every one of us. Um, and I love about this space that people, um, it seems, you know, we live and die on, on Twitter basically every single day. <laughs> and uh, we, we do, and, and the, the, I, if any, if, if you've been on Twitter outside of the crypto Twitter and NFT Twitter, Twitter can be a very nasty place. Um, it's actually a platform where there's a lot of trolling, a lot of bullying. It's, uh, it might not be, it's not always as nice. What I always found that the NFT Twitter is incredibly nice. It's a niche that is very pleasant. And that's because we have created a community that is very supportive. Now we need to extend the support outside of our niche and into the other, the outside world and get people, all the people that we know that normies, that's a bit offensive maybe, but all the people that don't know about NFTs and crypto and bring them in continuously with patience. Um, and, and do that not for the financial returns, but do that because this is the new future and it relies on us kind of building it. Uh, so that's, that's one, that's one thing. Things don't just happen on their own or for a reason you, you, you make them happen. You are in control mm -hmm. of that. You always are in control of what happens. Sorry. You always are, um, you have some degree of control of what needs to happen. Um, now when it comes to money and this is something is tricky, this, this market is incredibly volatile. This market is more volatile than anyone could have thought because honestly, open sea volumes at some point on one day, they went down 99% from the peak. Now you can expect that there is a volatility. You can expect that there is a dump, uh, or a drop, a trough in the cycle. I think that almost no one would have expected volumes to go down by 99%. Like that is actually a really, really big number. Um, and, uh, and it's, you only, you, yeah, we need to be, you need to be careful and, uh, you know, whatever you invest, you need to invest with the idea or with the awareness that it could, for some reason, it could go to zero. And when I say zero, I don't mean, yeah, you sell it, you recover. No, no, zero. That will never be sold. No one will ever want to buy your NFT. And that's the end of it. You take it, you put it in a burn address, or you put it in a wallet that you're never going to look again. And that will never be worth anything. And that's it. You will have lost 100% of what you put in. So, yeah. So that's something important that I think... Um, it's not, um, yeah. That would have just scared the normies watching this or non-crypto natives. <laughs> yeah, so. but, <laughs> sure. But then, uh, no, no, I, I know it's, uh, 
you can go you can go down to them i mean i would say you should think that your almost your currency whatever you earn can can go down to zero if inflation continues to this level <laughs> but uh, no i mean look i it's not about scaring it's about being aware of things there are mm. at the same time like do you ever look do point point to me or, or or tell me about another investment class where you could do a thousand x in a year some projects are done they don't exist now this type of outsized return exists because there is an outsized volatility it, it volatility is inherently good for an asset class because it creates opportunities opportunities to trade the opportunities to gain Obviously, the flip side of the coin is that it also creates opportunities to lose. On the lower side, yeah. On the lower side, of course. But ultimately, ultimately, it is a quite positive. Uh, volatility is positive. It's not, you know, everything that is always flat doesn't can't grow. Um, so embrace the risk, embrace the volatility, and uh, and place your bets. And they are bets at the end. Um, probably another thing, you know, from my experience that I was saying, I, I was saying this last year uh, a lot, that a lot of the profits that people make or made were uh, more driven by luck than by skills or talent. <laughs> this is something that is a very... The psychological bias that we have, we always tend to, we always tend to uh, think that our successes are because of our merits, and other people's successes are because of our because of their luck. Mm-hmm. Okay, their good fortune. So maybe what I'm saying now could be exactly what uh, you know part of this bias. That is amazing. Code. Let's just repeat that. Um, no, it's actually is a is a is a is a mental bias where we attribute our successes to our good skills and talents, and we attribute other people's successes to them having good luck. <laughs> it tends to be like that. Whether it is a sale for an artist, whether it is a uh, and a, a, a athlete, whether it's a colleague at work, whatever, oh, they just got lucky and then they got, they achieved this. However, if you achieve something, it's never because you've been lucky. You just work hard and you've just done everything right. And so you achieved it. So this is a bias that we always have. Now, in the market that we've had last year, the majority of big profits have come from luck for everybody, for me and for anyone else. And when people say it's not true, they are lying to themselves or they're not very aware. Uh, so always be grateful for everything that you made or that you will make, because there is always a, a luck component. Now, there are some skills, like I bought two apes at the very within the first 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 month, and I had such a strong conviction on apes. I have been telling my friends to buy apes at uh, one ETH, three ETH, five ETH, 10 ETH, 20 ETH, 20 ETH, like, kept telling my friend, look, this is great. Just keep buying apes. And then I stopped because they, they got too expensive to for someone. Um, fine. But I kept 
my strong belief and conviction on that, and it paid off a lot. But I had I had the belief. But at the beginning, by my ape when I bought it, that was luck. I mean, sure, I I was very convinced that this that was going to become. I, I recognized the the momentum that they had, and that's what I bet on. But you know, from that point to know everything that happened afterwards to be AYC, that's luck. I mean, we nobody could have known back then mm-hmm. in 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 May or June 2021 what was going to happen. So that's the luck part, and you always need to go back. So why did I take this decision? What was I expecting? If the result is 100 times better than what you were expecting, that's luck. Because like you can't control that. You couldn't, you couldn't know that. So, so always be humble. Always be humble. So now, some, now if somebody wants to know which is going to be the next board aim or some, some project to get into, how, how would they find that out? I have no what? idea. I have no idea. <laughs> I actually, I have no, I honestly, I have no idea. And I would be very, um, I would be very skeptical of anyone saying this is the next uh, board ape yacht club because I, because we don't, it's really difficult to know these things from, from, from the outset. You, you just can't, you take, you take bets. You know, if you are a venture capital, if you are a venture capital firm, um, you know, the, these are the funds that invest in startups. They never say this is the next Uber or this is the next Netflix or Airbnb or whatever. They don't. They make 30 bets and one of the actually 20% of them will have outsized return in the portfolio. 20% of them have to have an outsized return for their funds to make sense. They don't know when they invest, which they just have, okay, these are good prospects. But it's um, like investing in NFTs for me in this PFP collection has been the same as a as a VC. You place your bets mm-hmm. where you see a bit more value, um, and very often value is just based on a few charts and what you hear on Twitter. Are people pumping it? Are people who is behind it? Who is uh, which collectors are there? Like this is what it, I was doing: swing trade. I was doing momentum trading. I was looking at what people were talking about and buying and, and when they stopped talking about it, I would sell it. So it was very um, market and mood driven as opposed to necessarily fundamentally based on fundamental values because it's really, really hard today to sell, to tell. Now, I, I will tell you one thing. I think PFP projects are, um, PFP projects will have a very hard time going forward. Um, because that market seems to have that interest of speculators to invest in those assets seems to have dried up at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, same if you create the play to earn a game. Like before the play to earn games that we have seen in the last 18 months have been based on speculators and they've been based on someone else will come in afterwards and buy your tokens. Mm-hmm. Some people like a pyramid. Like a yeah. pyramid. Some people might call it the big Ponzi scheme, Ponzian in, in nature. Uh, it's not entirely wrong. And actually there is an element of that even in crypto, I think. Uh, 
but no, and I'm not saying this in a bad way. Like you, you obviously rely for the success of something to increase adoption. Mm-hmm. Like if the reason, if the reason this exponential increase in adoption of a particular currency tokens or something, probably the project will not be successful. Like this is a, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, or whether it's the, you know, crocodile faces a PFP project launching tomorrow. I don't know, random one. Okay, um, it's the same. So, but the playthrough yeah. games that we have seen in the past were very, were really based on only on that because they were not games. They were financial or they were investment structures. Like there was actually no game. So the next P2E game that we need to come, in my view, to be successful, it will have to be a game, a real game that people want to play the game. And not, they're not because they want to stake these assets that gives them another asset so they can sell to buy another asset and stake <laughs> it and make money. That's not a game. That's a, that's a financial instrument. Uh, sorry, please, uh, SEC, don't call me. I don't know anything about financial instruments, so I don't know. It would, it would have been crazy if um, Counter-Strike or Dota or, or those games which actually are being played or are famous came out with uh, their NFTs, isn't it? So. There, one of the, I, I think one of the uh, big criticisms that gamers have raised to the NFT space is that, you know, they said, we, and it was exactly this, NFT games are not games. So I play Counter-Strike not to make money because I want to play Counter-Strike. I enjoy playing on Fortnite. So um, now I am very curious about um, other sides and what Yuga Lab is doing, Yuga Labs are doing uh, with their game because they are building a game. And I think they're building a game in the way you build a game, game first, and then that'll be everything else. <laughs> uh, so that's that's very important. Uh, I think it will be a sign. I think it will. I think Yuga Labs once again has the ability to launch us launch us into the next phase of mm. um, NFTs which will not be PFP driven, which will not be P2E driven, which will, for games at least, will be, it will be a game driven at least. When I'm talking to non-native cryptos for telling them what it is, what is NFT. So this aspect about PFP, I explained to them like a share market or a stock company where you can use PFPs as a way to crowdfund your business and use that actually for your business. And then you can trade it on or whatever the business makes money you can receive out of this. And just the plus side is it can be done internationally without any government restrictions or norms. So do you have you seen uh, any projects which, which are making use of it in this ways or is it still a potential in the future? So I... 100%, I agree I agree with almost 100% of what you said. Um, definitely, uh, NFTs and these sort of tokens, PFPs, have become a way for companies to fundraise. The real big problem is that 
this is what the SEC is investigating in the US, is that the moment in which you use it for fundraising and you distribute profits of whatever you're going to make, they become a security. Yeah. And it is a complete whole bucket of fish. It's completely different. It will absolutely change. Like, you will not be able to do it that easily anymore because all of a sudden it becomes a financial promotion when you talk about your product, when you talk about your, when you shill your PFP project, it becomes a financial promotion. You won't be able to do it that easily. Like it's mm. really not that easy to raise money, to use that to raise money. So you need to use certain platforms that are accredited where people that buy are accredited as well, etc. So it's, it's incredible. I know that so far, that's roughly what it has been, but it's been very, very tricky. Now, let me come though to the question, to the to your question. Um, I have seen the majority of uh, projects raise money through PFP and do absolutely f all with funds. <laughs> and uh, why is that? Because they don't know how to do it. They don't have an idea because the roadmap was to make t-shirts and uh, hoodies and stickers. And that's, oh, we do merch, yay, who cares? That's not a business, that's a maybe side benefit. Like very few companies have actually created a business from the PFP. I think Yuga Labs has done it now. Um, Azuki, very interestingly, Azuki with his, um, don't remember the name, Bing, Bing, Bing technology or whatever they are doing now, they are creating this system to link physical assets with NFTs, which is completely, completely unrelated to the Azuki PFP, but they use the funds to fund the business. So that just was announced a week ago or so. So that's what, this is very interesting. I thought very interesting. Now, what is the value of Azuki? I don't know. Is it really a, like the equivalent of a share in the business? Well, if it is, I'm sure that the SEC will go and knock at the door very, very soon. And it will, it needs to be done in a different way. You can't just, again, just give it to someone like that and, and uh, let a, a 16 year old kid buy uh, their Azuki just because they have a MetaMask. <laughs> and, but that's, that's true. That's, you know, this, by the way, this, this all, all this regulation, I am in favor of regulation for for the space. And I'm in favor because regulation is primarily there to protect mm -hmm. people. Regulation is not there to uh, kneecap growth, even though sometimes it does it, does that, it obtains a result, which is sad. And unfortunately, I would love our regulators to be a little bit smarter and a little bit more knowledgeable, you know, to listen more to the younger generations. Okay. To be on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, the Yellen, the, the president of the ECB, had, uh, was in an embarrassing uh, conference um, about six months ago, and uh, and the, 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 she was she was telling someone was asking her like, oh, what, what about your your son? Apparently, we heard that your son is into crypto and Bitcoin. They're like, yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure what he buys. I hope one day he'll understand and change his mind instead of wasting. It's like maybe you should listen to your son a little bit more. Is you you have it in the house with you? It might actually tell you something, mm. you know, that you might not give you a view that you might not have considered. I don't know, 
But it's um, so I wish the regulators would be more open-minded. However, basic regulation it is actually important. You know, there will be a need for international regulations because now it's not just about US or the SEC or their Nasdaq where the companies are traded. It's funds and money of internationally people all around the world being involved in this, right? So <laughs> you, you realize like that is so difficult. I mean, <laughs> even in the in the EU to to promote some some laws that are some directives which are basically uh, suggestions for laws to be incorporated into national laws by the various uh, um, you know regulators within the various countries within the EU, which are, are part of the same kind of organization, if you like, is incredibly difficult. Do something that works in the US, Europe, and in India, oh my God, it will take a long time. And, but anyways, and, it can be a good chance, right? Necessities, mother of innovation, maybe with systems like this, or maybe with NFTs, they actually start thinking of use cases for having a global laws. <laughs> about yeah, that would, be, that would not be easy. That would not be that would not be easy, especially considering that you know there are two different, um, very different legal systems in the world. That's the the um, the common law, the the British American uh, legal system that is based on precedents, and there is the uh, what we have. Uh, I actually don't remember the technical terms, but what what the Romans invented that was basically a law that is fixed and needs to be interpreted, but it's mm. the law written as opposed to made by the judges in the courts, like as we go along and then use as precedents. And mm. so there, are, there are two very different ways of, uh, <laughs> two very different ways of regulating something. So it's, it's tricky. That's a whole different game and discussion with yeah, a lot more people to come It's important. Is the, I, think, I think the concept of regulation is, uh, you know, decentralization does it, doesn't mean, uh, decentralization doesn't mean that anarchy, that we need to have anarchy. Anarchy mm. doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't yes. work. Very excited. In a global, massive society, it doesn't work. <laughs> so very excited to see how this unfolds. So we talked about PFE projects and masses, but now your most of your works is now related to art. You're also an artist. And art has been uh, something very steady, like PFE projects going up and down, but there is steady income, I mean, steady process and sales with, when it comes to regular artists who are just creating digital artwork for the sake of the art itself and selling. So, first of all, how did you get interested in this apart? Like, you were totally into trading and then now into NFTs, which are very illiquid, right? One artist work, you, you might never know where it is, when it is going to sell or who's going to buy. Or... Yeah. Uh, yeah, hence the, the book about the thousand lives um, of uh, <laughs> Ruff, probably. Um, it, thousand uh, lives of Lord Ruffington. There, there is, there are definitely, yeah, I mean, all, all, the, all my friends, people that have known me for 
whether it's five or 25 years. And, uh, you know, when I recently, you know, I told, I spoke with a few friends, I'm like, oh, you know, I actually um, started doing seriously photography and I sold a photo of mine for actually a considerable amount. Uh, Let me just tell that to the audience. Uh, our dear friend, Lord Ruffington, did a Genesis art on Super. That's the most premium platform, which he sold for 2.2 Ethereum in auction. That's almost like $3,000. Wow. So big congrats to that. And 100% of that was dedicated to a cancer cause. On top of it, there was another investor who who put it equally, like he also put an equal amount, right? To added it to it. Uh, one, one, yeah, yeah. Another very well-known artist who matched uh, one ETH, um, so about thousand, one thousand three hundred dollars. On top of that, uh, for the for the donation, so we gave a really, um, it's really, really, I was really proud. We we gave a really nice donation to a cancer care um, charity in Edinburgh, in Scotland, um, um, who um, helps. Um, to create a better living arrangement for people that um, have cancer, um, in the hope that a you know a more relaxed environment will actually help and assist the healing process, or at least um, dealing with with this uh, illness. Um, mm-hmm. So it was. I think it was. Thought it was very very nice, um, and actually. Um, this charity was chosen by Trevor, by this uh, Trevor Jones, this this. Um, great artist in memory of um, someone else who passed at the beginning of uh, this year uh, was another OG um, artist uh, called Alotamani and uh, who passed. Oh my God. I was seeing his NFTs in your profile on Super Air. I didn't know he passed away. Yeah. Yeah. He, he passed in the beginning of March this year and he passed of um, cancer very, very, very quickly uh, from the moment that um, he discovered he was uh, sick to the moment he passed. It was just a couple of months. It was incredibly quick. Um, so it was a shock for everybody. Um, and um, yeah, and so Trevor Jones um, started this like big donation uh, campaign uh, for a cancer care charity and I've been now the last one to actually do a contribution there um, and um, yeah I was saying as I told my friends that I sold the photo they were like are you joking like you were the you were the very opposite of what someone might think um, when they think about an artist um, and uh, and this is uh, something I've discussed in, in a lot of spaces, and is I always used to tell myself that I didn't have a creative bone in my body. Um, I think the the right um, thing should have been that I don't have an artistic bone in my body, which is a bit different, uh, because I've actually always done a lot of different things that show somewhat some creativity. But ultimately, you know, we all have um, a narrative that we repeat, a self-narrative 
So we have the idea of who we are. And it's something mm -hmm. that we, every time we voice that out loud in our head, or especially out loud for the people, we strengthen a narrative. I am not creative. I am not artistic. I don't know. I don't know how to do anything that is artistic. And every time we say it, we convince ourselves that that's true. Mm -hmm. And um, I will be forever thankful to NFTs because beside everything else they've given me already, they helped me to discover and or to rediscover, to appreciate the part of me that I have always suppressed, that my narrative was telling me that was not there, my creative, my artistic side. So the, the story... Um, I'll come back to how I came to the art, but mm -hmm. let me tell you about this photography. I have always taken photographs, uh, a lot of photographs. Every time I go around, I would take them, whether I had a camera, whether I had a, my mobile phone, I've always taken a lot of photographs. Um, I actually was, I was in India, um, what now 10 years ago in 2012. And, uh, I was looking at some of the photos I took there. And there are some really good photos. They're not technical because I don't know much or didn't know much about technical photography or, you know, the leading lines or the composition, rules of composition or anything. They were just photos at the moment, things that I saw in the street and I would shoot. And, and actually now, 10 years later, I'm like, well, these were actually good. good. I never appreciated them. I never appreciated that I could see something in the street. I could see some compositions that maybe other people couldn't, or that I, I, I never really appreciate. I just said, no, I'm not good at anything that's got to do with art. I don't, art and me are two very different things. And then as I started collecting art, um, and so I wasn't an art collector in the real life. Um, and then uh, as I started collecting art and NFT, art NFTs, um, I uh, started to do curation, so I do a, well, now it's post, but I've done for six months a, two daily tweets uh, of curation called Truffs Truffles. And one is, is basically I would showcase a piece of art um, that I like. One is a piece of digital art, and digital art I mean anything that is not photography, and the other one is a piece of photography NFTs. And I will show these truffles. And I always had a lot of engagement with these posts. Um, people liked what I would show, what I would showcase. They liked the art that I found. And, um, and then I put together my um, on cyber galleries, for instance. Again, I received a lot of um, good feedback on how the galleries were put together, how the pieces were um, the, the theme of colors and first of all, the, the type of art that I bought, but also how they were curated together. And I realized that that is also a skill, right? It's also, yeah. it's, 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 um, it's a skill or is it something that I am decent at? Um, and so I decided to actually embrace this, uh, this, um, this part of me. And, uh, um, and actually I had, I was fortunate to have a friend in this space who I took to, um, a lot. And, uh, she, um, she said, well, you need, she's, she's been into photography for many years. And she said, well, we need to go out there and, and do some shoots, just go out there to take photos. 
And I'm like, okay, I don't know what is going to come out of it. And actually, that's when I took the, the shot of the date. And it's really funny because just before coming here, I had um, just before coming here, uh, a very well-known photographer that who I admire a lot um, just made a post showing a very similar picture. Well, I see a picture taken in the same place with the same color tones and say, oh, I hope you inspired yourself with your picture to mine. The reality is that a friend of mine took me there to shoot. I didn't even know that that was a place where people would go and shoot photos. I didn't know. <laughs> and this is crazy because afterwards, I have actually realized that there are a lot more, um, well, there were a lot more shots done in that in that space and they, they had a similar connotation, but that just came from me and my eye. And again, without really knowing what, um, what to expect, this is just like 100% the expression of my creativity. Um, and, and the fact that there's some really big photographer actually says, oh, you know, it's great. It looks like my photo. It actually wow. is amazing. It's amazing. It's like, okay, like, you know what? Beside I feel, um, I feel really great. Like I'm doing something right. It's not knowing if I actually do something that is similar to someone else that is actually that I respect that is super good. Um, yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good start. Um, and actually, since then, I've been taking. I have so much amazing. I have some really good shots. Uh, one of them, I will do my second drop on Sunday uh, on Super Rare, and uh, and I, I can't wait to show this other uh, different style. Yet similar, you know. You, you tell me what you think when when you see it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I just loved your piece that you had showcased. Uh, I'll add a link to that in the description. Or let's just let's just open and share it on the screen. Give me a moment. Which uh, which uh, which piece? Just super rare piece that my uh, my, my my photo. Yeah, light together. Yeah, it's open. Uh, let me just do a screen yeah, share. Yeah, of course, of course. And uh, yeah, it, it's. Um, you see it, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I can see. It. Yeah. So that's uh, this is shot at the. This is um, shot the Tate Modern. Which is uh, the well, the major art uh, modern art museum in in London in the UK, um, and um, uh, yeah, it's a photo that I absolutely I love how these two people are here in the middle of the the of the piece, um, mm -hmm. basically with effectively with the light with the leading light going towards outside and. Uh, and how they are, you know, illuminated. They are in the light. And this is this is inspired. This is what inspired the title of the of the piece, which is light together. Um, wow. how everything else is uh, is uh, is basically dark, and these two people are together walking uh, towards the light. Um, and and I thought that um, it was a very apt piece, also for the 
that it was very apt for this piece to make it also as a charity for a, a cancer care organization and, and to name it like that. And I wrote it was a very little um, uh, very little poem, super short, mm-hmm. uh, but the, 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 with, you know, to express the concept that, you know, even when it's very dark in the darkest moment in, in our lives, um, when we are together, we can still see the light and we go towards the light. And I think that the picture is a, uh, wow. the picture expresses that, that thought very well. I just got goosebumps when you're saying that. So yeah, let's just, I'll just read the description for everybody. Even in the dark, darkest of times, the warm embrace of togetherness shows us the light. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's very, it's very representative. I think it all really fits together. Well, the photo, the, the title with a little poem and, and the fact that then we've, we've given the proceeds to charity and it's, uh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Brilliant. And you know, what's the fun fact, uh, even after you sold it, you got an offer of 2.4. I know <laughs> that is actually a, um, that was, uh, to be honest, was even more of a surprise than uh, the, the, the final price. Cause it's a, I read it and then maybe not, maybe Poseidon did not mean it that way, but I see it as a very strong, uh, backing mm. uh, of my work and me as an artist by some very big and well-respected collector. Um, that basically said, you know, we were willing to buy for more than it was sold for. Um, and it's a standing offer. It's still there available because that is all in my view, that's not a, an offer for the actual buyer. Like this is mm. it's not a real offer to buy the piece because no one would buy 2.2 and sell it 2.4. Um, mm-hmm. the that they lose money, right? It's, it's actually just a sign of support. Absolutely. You got quite a bid warrior and. Oh yeah, there was a bit, there, there were different bid wars at different levels, and uh, it was uh, it was so exciting to go through that. <laughs> we are all thrilled, and uh, we were just tuning in. It was uh, uh, Gandhi Jayanti, the birthday of the Father of Nation, October two, and you had this going on. It was it was a thrilling experience. But yeah, as you said, I don't think Poseidon is going to miss. Miss your uh, next drop now. <laughs> uh, let's see, let's see. I, you know, um, you're you're an artist as well. You you, you know. Um, well, actually, sorry. Let, let me no no you know as well. I am. This is the first time for me putting myself out there as an artist. So I, while I always, I consider myself a very empathetic person. So I have empathy. I can understand uh, what I think I can understand what other people feel in various situations. However, I always thought, sure, you do a piece and then you do your second piece, your third piece. Every time you publish something, there is a bit of, you know, of anxiety almost. It's always a bit scary. I could not expect how much that is. So I've done my first piece and I was very nervous. Um, I do admit, I had a couple of people that already told me they were interested in, in getting the piece uh, at a significantly lower level. 
So I knew that it wasn't going to be, I put it out there and no one will bid and it's going to stay, the auction is going to end up in a, you know, after a day with no bids and the photo stays to me, stays with me. However, I didn't know how much, you know, if people were going to like it. Also, um, unfortunately, some people were, again, raised some questions about, oh, you know, now collectors are becoming artists, you know. I, I think it's just the best thing ever. If you have artists that become collectors and collectors that become artists, it just makes this community better. It's just we all share the same experiences. I think it's amazing. And, uh, and, uh, and so I've done it and it went really well. And I was incredible, was buzzing for a week. I was so excited. And now there is a second one. Yeah. Now I am really shitting in my pants <laughs> because I'm like, okay, what if, what if people don't like it? What if people say, oh, the first one was better? What if people, <laughs> I mean, collectors don't care? What if it was only because it was for charity? What if, um, what if it sells for like, oh, you know, 0.5? All of these things, oh my God, like I'm, I'm here, I can't, sometimes I have to say, <laughs> relax, it's okay, it is fine, there is no, it doesn't matter what happens, there's no expectations, but it is so, the pressure that we put on, on each other, on ourselves, oh my goodness, crazy, crazy, and only now, I, as a, that I'm going through it, I'm actually understanding that is, what goes, how nerve-wracking. Artist doing the second and the third piece, uh, you put together what if it's not as good as the previous ones? Oh, now I know what if it doesn't oh, sell so much. Before. What if it doesn't sell? What if it's oh, I would really would like this big invest, this big collector to, to look at my piece. What if they hadn't seen it? Should I send them a DM? Should I say, hey, um, have you Check seen this out? What do you think? You know, like, yeah, I get shields. I actually, I would almost say to, to people, please stop shilling me the work because I get 50 plus messages every single day. It is, it is exhausting. And um, I would like to respond to artists, but I can't, I, I can't, I mean, physically I cannot, but also is, um, you know, I, my advice for artists is build a relationship with, with a collector, not because you have a piece of sale. Mm. It's, that's a bit late. Um, and if you send me a piece of art and you say, what do you think? What do you want me to respond? There, there is actually no response that is remotely useful to you as an artist. So you got to frame it in a different way. You got to just find a way to, to create, to extract value from the conversation in a different way. Um, but for me, like, I'm not, for example, for example, I build a, well, I'll tell you what, I, what I've done with a lot of people. I have uh, shared my picture. I share my, I'm learning. I'm still learning. So I, I have, I'm fortunate enough to have built a relationship with some fantastic top end photographers. Um, and I share my piece and I say, how can I make it better? Mm. What would you change? Do you have suggestions on the composition, on the editing, on uh, uh, on the light, on the light curve? How would I, you know, what should I do? And I get very specific, actionable feedback on mm. the piece. 
And by the way, I don't ask, yeah, sure, I can ask anyone that, but in my case, I want to ask a professional photographer that's been doing it for 20 years and that knows how to, knows these things. In Italy, if I just put something on Twitter, people will say, oh, I like it. It's the first, it's the emotional reaction. I actually want the technical reaction as well to the piece. Um, and in general, just build relationships with people. Build a relationship with people before you need something from them. Mm. Um, and it's, um, this is, a, I mean, maybe it's a personality thing. I've always been a big uh, network builder. So I've always done it a lot. Uh, not, not because I need something from people, but actually thinking that one day I might need something from people. One day I might actually um, need something from people. And so I want to have a good relationship with them. And the relationship, the moment in which I don't have anything to ask you, what I do is what can I give to you today? Mm. Um, when I was in, in the startup world, I used to meet people and, uh, and I would always used to ask, how can I help you? Like really, not how can I help you here today? What can I do for you? And and that's how you build relationship. And you know, there is a, you know, as an artist, uh, I get I get approached uh, as a collector. I get approached by artists so many times, and I always feel um, that. Like I understand now being, being an artist or being, having been in the position where I had to sell my piece, I understand it a bit, but you always need to think why should that person do what you ask them to do? Why? You need to understand that people have incentives. People have, and I, I get that because I have a big, uh, I have a very engaged social media profile, especially on Twitter. But actually, even I have an Instagram account that I started two months ago, two, three months ago. It's very new. I have about 2,000 followers. However, I did a story yesterday and I had 600 views of a story with a 2,000 people followers base. Like, I actually don't think that many accounts have that kind of conversion of engagement, like engagement over the, you know, the, the, the number of followers. Um, so even though it's small, it's a super engaged. The same is on Twitter. I have a lot of engagement. Now, when you ask me, can you do a retweet? Now you are the hundredth person this today that asked me for a retweet. And the question is, why do I, why should I do it? Like you just, as an artist, you're there, you just ask, you continuously ask, what are you actually doing for a collector? Are you, you know, have you ever sh shown me like, oh, you know, this is a friend of mine. No, no, this is a friend of mine. This is a piece of art that I found that is absolutely amazing. I don't know the artist, but the art is amazing. I don't have the funds to buy, it, but you, you might. So have you looked at this? Wow. In that moment, you're adding value to me. Otherwise, like, and, and there are some people that have, have been doing that. No, there are some people that have been just asking me things. And after a while, I stop. I stop engaging because I'm not a retweeting machine. Sorry. I, I, you know, my tweets, my time is actually, it's quite important. It's got an opportunity cost. 
If I retweet your stuff, it's probably I don't retweet something else because I don't want to retweet a thousand tweets a day. It's no real point. So always think, okay, why should someone do it? What are you doing for them? Mm. So I build relationship based on that. I want to quickly say uh, when when you're doing Twitter spaces, artists ask us how, what do collectors think? How do they think? So we are always like, you start collecting and you, when you become a collector, you'll know how collectors think. And then as you, as you mentioned, (laughs) what artists go through, a collector needs to become an artist. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been saying this. I mean, uh, I've been advising, um, I've been advising um, artists for a year now. Um, at, you know, usually new artists and more emerging artists and less very established artists. But I actually talk to a lot of big artists as well, big artists that have really big sales already. And, you know, and I'm saying to everybody, you need to collect as well to the extent that your finances allow you, but you should collect as well. And why do you have to collect? Is because it will give you the understanding of the market from the other side, which is something that is really missing. It's not common that artists understand that, that part of the market. And the only way to do it is to buy, and by the way, don't buy art from your friends. That's not collecting. That's uh, that's a friendship uh, gesture or, or a charity to your friends. Like, this is not, this is not real collecting. You need to collect something <laughs> you think is going to go up in price because you like it and because you think it's a good investment. Start to see why, how would you, why would this be a good investment versus the other piece? And start doing that, 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 that mental conversation in your head, start having that debate every single day. And that will make you a lot better. That will teach you how to look at the market. And when you do your next drop, you will know how to, you will have already some answers. That's my, that's my, you, I, I'm giving it to everybody. I'm always absolutely. It that, that is a very cool point because what we see when there are no collectors, it's mostly artists collecting from other artists. And as you mentioned, it's usually the friends who are they supporting and that's happening. That, 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 that's a cool point you mentioned. That doesn't count. But that doesn't count. Thinking... Thinking just to support the artist for the sake of it, it's great. By the way, I've done a lot of it. It's great. I, you know, I, I've done a lot of it, but that's, that's very different. Like try to invest, try to invest. Try to collect some art that you think is going to go up in price. For me, I've never thought of, I've never looked at NFTs as they might actually sell or they might go up in price. I don't know. It, it doesn't, when I'm collecting, like we have doing spaces for eight months now, 12 hours every week on Saturdays. We see a lot of artists. I go through many other spaces also. I've collected, but I never really had this thought in mind. Okay, this is going to go up in price. That's why I need to buy. So... Let me ask you, let me ask you though, okay, okay, I, let me ask you though something. Um, If I show you a piece, if I show you an NFT, is that NFT worth 0.01? 
0.1, 1 ETH, 10 ETH, 100 ETH. How would you know? How do, how do you know how much is that worth? Like, how do you like it is it is not looking at the price what the artist has put that's number one thing like you see this likes this is good like then go to the price what artist has set that's it but if you just show the image it would be very difficult to it's impossible i can show you i can show a physical painting and i and you wouldn't know if it's worth ten dollars or ten million dollars you actually literally cannot because the art in itself, it's um, some people might disagree with that. I had, I had some conversation with some really big, like real life artists that had, had something to say about this. But in general, the art in itself is not what gives value to the piece. It's the artist, the story, what really is the artist and the story <laughs> and the narrative that goes with it. That's really the, 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 the main value. Um, but but in, in, for NFTs is the same. But you know when you look at something, there are there are always supply and demand and market considerations that you need to make. Even if you don't invest for it to go up, you know money is fungible, but money is also incredibly limited. So your capital is limited. The largest majority, not for everybody, but the largest majority of people money are at least limited. So if you have one ETH and you want to invest and you want to buy art with one ETH, you know, I mean, if you go on Tezos, you can buy a million pieces, thousand pieces, something amazing, brilliant, brilliant. Okay. Or you can buy one piece on Super Rare for one ETH and you can decide, like, how do you decide? There's got to be more than just say, I like what I see, because you can spend your life just, just looking at art. And NFTs, there are, there's so many every day, just be minted. There, there, there needs to be other considerations, whether you look at it as an investment or not, those investment considerations still come into play. Mm, eventually. Yeah, uh, now, while, while, if you see, while if your mate is an artist and says, oh, I've got this thing, this edition at 0.02, can you buy it? And you buy it, that is not a... You don't look at anything. You know the, you know the person. You just buy something because it's your mate. It's very, very, very different than buying from an artist you don't know. So you mentioned a very good point about art being shown and not being able to say what value it is unless you know the story or unless you know the artist. Yes. So that aspect about artist or building a story around your brand, what are your tips for uh, artists listening to this? How, how do you go and establish yourself and how do you build that brand and story that would eventually give higher returns to your collectors on your art? Look, I, I have uh, my, my, the mantra that I've been repeating to artists since day one is your art is your product. Like any product in the world, you need to market your product in order to sell it. There is not a company in the world that produces a product and doesn't market that product. Coca-Cola is the biggest brand in the world and they still spend billions every year in marketing and branding. That's it. 
That should tell you everything. You cannot afford to create something and not market it. Whatever form that takes, in the traditional art world, that those are galleries, curators, but primarily galleries. As an artist, you have a gallery that markets it for you. And you pay the gallery, by the way, a lot to do the work. In the NFT, we have uh, so far disintermediated the process. So you are now the artist with your art and you have the collectors here. Now, there's no gallery in the middle. You need, there are some platforms which are usually pretty poor at doing marketing, at least today. I think it was different in the beginning. Um, so you need to do the marketing of your product to your potential collectors and people that are interested. There is no way around it. Your art does not speak for yourself. Now, let me be very clear here, because uh, I had some pushback in the past, and I, I think I, I'm, I have been misunderstood. Yeah, because many people say that art should be something that uh, should uh, tell its story itself. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. <laughs> let, me, let me do the clarification. All of these that I've just said is if you want to sell your art, if you want to create art for your personal artistic passion and want to keep it on your walls and have a warehouse full of a thousand paintings, that's amazing. I mean, I admire you and I envy you. It's amazing. Now, if you want to sell your art and, and make a living as an artist, have the art as your job, and by job, I mean the thing that provides sustenance and money for to live. If you want that, there is only one way to go and is doing branding and marketing. The, the other, the, you cannot produce your art for the sake of it and expect people to buy it. They will not buy it. And probably I would almost say, why should they? It's, it's, um, it's, yeah, I can buy something and I will, uh, and I have bought a lot of things just because I like the look of that. Perfect. But if you, but it's an occasional buy. It's not, if you want to engage, like a big collector, if you want to build your brand and build your prices and actually become more established, you need to brand yourself. You need to create a brand around your name and you need to market yourself. Unfortunately, that's the that's a law of, but that's like it's normal. There is there is a, there are probably a thousand artists for for each collector that is out there, probably more. Your when you create something, it's just out there lost in the ether. How is the main question? <laughs> yeah, how is a tough question. I would. Uh, I would say, I would say, um, in today's world, uh, Twitter, in today's, yeah, in today's world, it, it, Twitter is still the main platform, and Twitter is a grinding game. Uh, and by grinding game, I mean that the more time you put into Twitter, the more you're gonna get out of Twitter. Uh, I spent. 10 hours a day on Twitter for a year, probably. It's just grind on Twitter. Find out who they are, who the collectors are, 
find out who the catalysts in the space are, who are the people that can amplify your message and try to get more followers and more, not just followers, but more engagement and uh, try to get. Now, obviously your art needs to be good. Let me be clear. <laughs> the starting point is that your art is good. Okay, that's the starting point. Um, and by the way, art, okay, sorry, that's, that's, not, that's not fair. Um, that's not fair. Uh, art can appeal to different people, different art can appeal to different people. So you need to find the people that connect with your art. That's the important thing. Give you a very practical example. If you are a photographer, it's no point in really trying to engage collectors that have never bought a photography NFT because they might not care or believe in photography NFTs. So they're not the right collectors. So, you know, look with the other collectors and really spend time engaging with these people, uh, with the community. And also, we said earlier, try to add value. How do you grow your brand? Add value. Add value. Express your thoughts in an informative and useful way. Support other people. Someone, I, I don't know, was Jiga Chapepe or someone very recently that did a post. I, I don't remember who it was. Um, someone else maybe. But they did a post that said, oh, you can't make a sale? Fine. Help another artist to make a sale. Mm. Help another artist to make a sale. Have you ever done it? Have you ever, not you, but in, in general, <laughs> you know, you focus always on me, 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 sell, look at my art, look at my art, look at my art. Um, I love when I do, I haven't done it now for a couple of weeks, three weeks, probably. I used to do my art shares. And I used to have 1,500 responses. Um, 90, 90% were people promoting their own art. And then maybe 10% were people promoting other people's art. It's a, stronger, it's a stronger message when you promote someone else's art. Mm. Try to do it. Try to do it. See what happens. Absolutely. How? You know support and you will receive album support. No? Technical uh, issues? One second, my yeah, my headphone went out of battery. I'm just switching to my other speaker. Of course. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. So I was saying I had one suggestion. Um, I mean, that was one of the thought that I wanted to discuss with you. I've been through your amazing wiki of NFT collectors, art collectors yeah. that you have mentioned, maintain. We'll talk about that. But just, just in follow up with your thought about approaching collectors according to your art style, who would be interested in your style. So this is a quick suggestion. If that wiki can be modified further to categorize collectors depending on what kind of art they like. Um, yes, uh, that's um, look, that's 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 a good point. I think that since there aren't that many, I think that artists should do their their work and their due diligence uh, independently from what the NFT collectors or wiki website says. 
Um, also, there are, depending on your, at which level you sell your prices, and the, at what prices you sell your pieces, uh, you know, there are a lot of other collectors that are not in the list that could still be an option. Like, you know, if you sell for 10 ETH, probably you have a very small pool of collectors to engage with. Very, very small, actually. Unfortunately, they are incredibly small, and that's a big concern for me. Um, for, for the market, for the market, obviously. Um, if you sell at 0.1 ETH a piece, you have a significantly larger pool of people to, to engage. So you need to understand your market positioning. You need to understand who are the people that buy your level. You know, a Cosmo Medici doesn't buy at 0.1, so that's not the right collector to engage. And vice versa, if you sell at 10 ETH, you need to engage with Cosmo and you don't need to engage with someone that buys at 0.1. So, okay. look, you got to treat your art creation as a business. And people, there is this, always this separation of art and business as being like, uh, you know, the, the devil and, uh, and you know, the, the, the holy water, you know, and they just don't go together. They do, they do, because business is not a bad thing. Business is just being smart about what you're doing and doing in a way that creates a revenue income, a, a stream of revenues of income for you that as an artist that wants to leave doing the art, it's quite necessary. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, it it's not, a, otherwise it's an hobby, which is fine, but it's different. It was an incredible tip about Medici, not don't shill him 0 0.1. Uh, it's not for that. So the same kind of effects that you have observed so many collectors can be made a business out of. You already have a wiki, so it could be uh, a step further, could be where, like in what range, what price range, what collectors are playing, or if this is a photography based, or if this is an abstract collector, or a, a animated 3D artist, or so on. Okay. Artists wouldn't mind, mind paying for so, it. So, so. <laughs> the NFT collections of Wiki is the first step of a platform that I'm building. That pretty much does what you're saying now. It's a bit different, that the angle is a little bit different. Um, but I have been working for six months, about six months, on a platform on an art discovery platform. And uh, the first step was the alpha of the product was to create this website. This is why we're not really changing, tweaking too much about the platform because it, there will be another platform in another domain with another name that will do a bit of everything. Actually, there is a tiny, tiny little Easter egg in that website that at least as the name of the new platform. Uh, but it's a tiny, tiny little thing. And uh, the, the problem, sorry, not the problem, the main point of the new platform and also of that NFT wiki at the beginning was however, not to help artists as much, but was to get more collectors that are on the sidelines to get in and invest with more confidence. Mm. Because right now, 
the problem, the real problem in the market, if you look at it from a market um, standpoint, the real problem is not that artists cannot sell, meaning collectors are still buying what they want to buy. They might buy artist A instead of artist B or artist C, but they're still buying. The problem is that there aren't enough collectors. Mm, absolutely. So, so that's so the real issue. The real thing that we need to change is to the real problem to fix is how do we get more collectors to find the art that they love and to actually confidently buy it. Mm. That is the problem in the market. Not that you can't sell your piece. That you can't sell your piece is a consequence. So if I give you as an artist a better way to discover uh, collectors and everybody has the tool, we are all in the same situation. You're just going to become, you're, you're just going to be smarter in how you look for your collectors, mm. but not, nothing changes. We need to bring more capital. And more no collect. Yeah. So that is, so the idea of the platform uh, will actually be to um, help to bring more collectors and to make them uh, confidently make um buys of art make them buy art and then so this, of course, that in turn will help directly the artist obviously obviously so but, this could this could actually be a feature for the collectors also right they fill up a form they say what kind of you show them three four artworks you get to know a taste of what kind of they are liking yeah. and then um, the artist also can reach out see this this is the work that you yeah. have showed interest in and you might like this. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, uh, or yeah, it's, it might be this in are, your price range. We are we're building it. It's going, unfortunately, <laughs> incredibly slow because we are not um, full-time on the project. But um, but we there is, like, we, we've been working on it. My CTO and I are actually building this platform that um, I don't want to say when it will be ready because I don't know. Um, I don't know, some point next year, uh, but it's, um, but the, the idea, the idea is that, um, and again, as I said, regardless of whether it's, it's my project or, um, or another, other project or, or how, how we do it, what we need to all collectively focus on is bringing more capital, more collectors, more collectors. The problem is not the art. The problem is that there are, you know, probably one collector for each thousand artists, I want to say, might be actually a lot bigger, the number. Active collectors, collectors that actually buy with a certain, you know, consistency. Because if someone buys three pieces and then disappears. I have a, I have a question. You're a collector. You see so many tracking, so many collectors. Yeah. It makes sense for artists to create art and to sell. They want money too for the other things or they just like it and they want a different way to get on. But active collectors, how are they or why are they spending so much of capital on collecting JPEGs, which might not get resold again, or it might just be there in their galleries? What what makes them do that? Why are, why are, why are you interested? Why are they interested in in collecting NFTs, because this question also can be an answer to onboarding new non-crypto collectors. 
I think every art purchase lies on a, on a spectrum. On one hand, you have the art that you buy because you absolutely fall in love with the piece, you really connect with. It evokes a certain feeling or, or um, sentiment and you just want to own it. And that's, I, I call them my forever pieces that I just would not sell. I'll just keep them there and that's it. Um, that those pieces there, I love these are from uh, Ishita, uh, Soul Kari Art. I love them so much. They are there. I don't think I'll ever sell them. Um, the, on the opposite end of the spectrum, they are the purely financial investments. You buy them because you think the artist and the piece will appreciate in value over time. Um, you, for those kind of decisions, for those kind of investments, it doesn't really matter what's in the, in the JPEG. It's just an asset that you buy because you think it's going to appreciate. That's it. I think every purchase lies somewhat in the spectrum in the middle, towards one end or towards the other end. Now, I do not agree that there are people that just buy because they like the art. Again, as we were saying earlier, there are always some economic consideration, um, but they might not necessarily look to resell it anytime soon. Um, I have an hybrid approach. I will sell something if, if it goes up in price a lot. Um, and I think that that's helpful to, I think that helps the artist as well. Um, I would love if my, my photos will be traded a lot, uh, higher prices, obviously. Um, it helps the artist, it appreciates the value, um, it appreciates the value of the artist and the art that they produce. Um, why do people buy? I think there is a, I think there is always an element of investments. Uh, might be a very long-term investment. Um, I generally believe that NFT digital art in the form of NFTs will be a fundamental large part of the traditional art world in 10 years time. And I would like to become, to get to that point with a collection, with a fantastic collection of digital art and, and be a, um, a patron of the digital arts. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have the capital that some of the other people in the space have that, you know, can spend hundred grand on a piece like that on a weekly basis. I absolutely don't. Everything that I have, um, a lot of the stuff that I invested came from my trading last year. Um, and I am actually overly invested into this space um, in a way that is very reckless. To be honest, I realize that, um, again, as long as, as you have awareness of that is good um, or it's okay. Um, and, uh, and I collect because I, you know, I like the piece and I think that the artist can do something something can become you know a lot bigger in the space and that does not depend on the art itself it depends on the artist mm. you know when um, a venture capital firm uh invests in a in a startup um especially when um it's early stage so the, the first one two three rounds they invest in the product, sure, in what the company, in the vision, sure, but primarily they invest in the founders. They invest in the people that are taking the decisions day in, day out, 
and it's a sign of trust that they will be able to navigate what happens in the company. Now, for me, investing in an artist is very often the same. When I buy a piece, I invest in the artist as much as I invest in that particular piece. And understanding who the artist is and what they are thinking. There are there have been some pieces that I really loved that I admit I did not buy because I was not convinced that the artist was someone that can uh, continue to grow. As a matter of fact, I saw them making some big mistakes and when there have been, you know, I might have told them or not and and yeah, and if it doesn't change, then I don't I can't get on board with that. So what what uh, was the, what was this mistake? Because how I mean, my question is, how do you evaluate the artist is going to keep growing? You, I mean, again, how do you evaluate the founder of a startup? I mean, I've made some investments in startups as well. How do you evaluate that a founder is good? It's you look at the background, the, the track record. You look at what they're doing. You look at what they say when when you chat with them, and uh, and you decide. Like it's a pricing, uh, supply and demand, um, how they mint, where they mint. Um, these are all important. Even how active they are on Twitter, who they engage with, what the other collectors are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These are all all uh, considerations that are important. Actually, the last one I think is quite important. If you have some big collectors, it's more important than if you don't. Right? It's a catch-22, right? Collect, getting collectors yeah, from collectors. Yeah, so yeah, how yeah. the first collectors? Of course, absolutely. But then again, I have created... So the point about the NFT collectors or Wiki is also that. You know, the, the concept of social investing exists in a lot of assets, not yet in... It, it, it exists in NFTs, but more for PFP, not for art, well, we need to bring it to the art world as well. If mm-hmm. you see Poseidon or, you know, you see Cosimo or, I don't know, 33 buying a piece, um, that is a seal, is a good, that's something that should make you, should make you look at the artist at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, uh, it's, I think is important. I can, so the collector of the week, we don't do it every week, I admit, but um, Ken, Kenshiro, Kenshiro is a, is a collector. Um, um, he has picked some of the big winners very early on. I think he bought his first Arsh on a year piece at like four ETH and now Arch on sells at 78 ETH. Wow. So when can buy something, I I look at the artist. Absolutely. And this is how you become this is how you develop your investment skills as well. It's uh yeah. So could you say it is more consistency from the artist in what they're creating, what they're doing, what their activity is? It, it, or it's, it's a number of things. Is the pricing. If you for instance, if you sell on different chains or on different platforms, do you have price consistency, for instance? And if not, is there a reason for that? If I see the same piece on Tezos and on ETH, 
I invest and I, I invest, I, I collect a lot on Tezos. I have five, 600 pieces on Tezos as well. Um, if you, if I see an artist as a sales we, we, we usually don't suggest to do that minting the same piece two times. Oh, not copy the, minting. Oh, no, no, the same piece. Like you would, you, you probably Similar. lose your reputation, but yeah. like that would be actually. <laughs> exactly. That is a fraud. You yeah. Never sell another piece in your career. Like, just be clear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but similar, you know, like I have, can I tell you my, I have uh, maybe in my portfolio of, of photos that I really like, I have now 15 photos that I really, really love. And they have, they might have, I like black and white, very dramatic tones. But not all of and reflections. That's that's just my 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 choices. But they are not always like this. I do also have some slightly different photos. Maybe they are color photos. So if you mean to different styles in different platforms, that's great. Or different chains, that's, that's okay. And so you might understand if there is a pricing difference. Super rare. You put your best pieces and you sell it slightly higher than maybe other platform. That is fine. If you have the very similar style on one platform and another with def very different pricing, it's a problem. It's a red flag. Yeah, so so again, flag. again, a caveat here, if it is done with additions, so the sum should total up to the piece on one of ones. Yeah, to some, yeah, to some extent, additions be, you know, I, I don't love additions. I don't love editions. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the stuff I bought are editions because they are easier to buy. They are cheaper, so you buy it. But will uh, I think the jury is still out whether editions will retain more value mm -hmm. than the one once? Um, I will, uh, yeah, I will definitely say that um, there are a lot of there are a lot of things. Even when you do editions, well. How many editions do you put out there? Mm -hmm. You put an edition of ten, an edition of hundred, an edition of a thousand. And what pricing? I mean, if you do an edition of a thousand for zero point zero zero one, what's a, what's a, what's the reason? What are you trying to achieve? Is there a strategy behind, or you're just trying random things? Um, and you know, it depends. All of these things are, all of these things. I think. They make up, they're all different elements. They make up your final assessment on a piece of art and, and an artist, whether you want to buy it or not. So you have got this amazing website uh, called nftcollectors.wiki, which is a great wiki for all collectors here. There are about 150 collectors here. Um, my question was, what are your qualification criteria for adding these collectors in this list? So these uh, started with a tweet, with a tweet where I asked who uh, the most respected uh, collectors in the NFT space uh, were. And uh, that tweet got really big. Um, and I think, uh, I, I think we had over a thousand different, uh, sorry, I, I think we had about 700 uh, replies in total 
but every reply had like five to ten names so we had an incredible amount of uh, names which then we collated and we kind of squeezed down to the you know top hundred that that we had that were mentioned more often etc the idea is who are the collectors that are most respected by the community um, not necessarily the biggest one but the people that the community respects why is that important because you know as i said earlier i think we wanted to make this also a, a tool for other collectors to see and uh, um uh to, to to see and almost emulate and copy and see what they've they've, they've come up you know what they've bought most recently etc so it's important that the collector is not just someone that that collects a lot but it's also someone that the community looks up to mm. and respects because you know if you have a collector that is very big very active but they don't even have a a twitter account there it's a lot harder to just you know come kind of copy their trades because you don't that person does not necessarily have that uh, yeah they don't have that social that social engagement okay let me put that there. so so these are collectors that have been chosen and then what we have done we've also looked at the size of their collection it's a, there isn't there isn't there is no um, you know no fixed rule but you know what's the size of the collection what they have there how often they purchase things because obviously some people some artists would put their collectors there mm -hmm. um, but basically, but maybe that collector that they've indicated as bought the last piece they bought was two months ago, and the the piece before was two months before. So that's probably not you know enough for us to be to included in this list. So it's you know how recent they bought, how how consistent they are, how often they buy things, and what kind of things they buy, um, and um, and yeah, and in general, what kind of reputation they have in the market. And in a way, there is an element there with um, of you know how many followers they have. Uh, you know, we it is kind of all important. And today, after that, how the process works is that there is a leave feedback at the top, send feedback at the very top. And so when you click there, you'll be able to recommend what artists. If you just click, it will ask you what you want to do, and it, and it will. Uh, um, ask you if you want to uh, recommend an artist and leave us a message and uh, an artist or a collector and then you do that and we will regularly uh, look at the you know the the suggestions and the nominations that we have there and we decide whether to include someone or not wonderful it's community driven and some people have been very forceful in saying oh no you must include this and I'm like well we don't, you know, we don't have to. Um, again, it's the point of, yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, we include if we think that is uh, relevant. Some people might not be included for various reasons and that's it. But we think this is a good, uh, a good, uh, a good list. And if there are other people, someone actually very recently offered to um, help uh, with, you know, maybe adding a little bit. At the moment, this is primarily on ETH. Um, mm -hmm. We will expand to Tezos for sure, because um, again, I'm 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 very active in the Tezos community. I love the Tezos community, and I think it's it's fair to add those people as well. 
Um, yeah, and that's it. And and uh, for some collectors, this has become a little bit of a badge uh, to be on this list. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. This was completely unexpected. And they started putting it on their, uh, they started putting it on their um, bio. On their bio. And that's, uh, yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, it is so detailed. You can directly go to their links from here. Uh, or open is ordered by the last uh, uh, is ordered by the last um, uh, last received so you can see the last purchases that they've done and uh, yeah I think I think it's nice I think it's it's something that, that is useful if used properly that's so amazing so you get your Twitter contacts and you open see what what they have collected and across all ethereum you can see in one place this is an amazing resource. Thank and you. you know, <laughs> this is a tip for the audience. The best way to use this website is go go through all the list, uh, visit their open scene, go to their Twitter, and uh, hit the bell icon on the Twitter. Suppose I go here and then uh, hit the bell icon on the profile. I've already done for this. So you get notification and then you can engage with them. Of course, and, uh... of course. Isaac, yeah, that's an amazing meme. Um, uh, Isaac here is a, is a fantastic, fantastic um, collector and curator. Um, definitely someone to follow closely. So what happens is like, uh, as, as our guest was saying earlier, connect with the collectors, engage in conversations, share them tweets out of other works. So all I think you can get their attention by by being the early respondents to their tweets. What do you think about that? I think I think you need to do that. Uh, I think it's uh, well. I think if you don't engage with someone, you will not get noticed. Now you might still not get noticed if you engage, but it gives you at least an opportunity to get noticed. Mm. Otherwise, and also, you know, add value, uh, add value um, for, add value for the community, add value to the community, right? That's it. That's all you have to do nonstop, continuously. Try to become as useful as you can uh, for everybody else. And I think it will pay... It, it will pay off. Well, that's what I've, I've tried to do for the last year and a half. Wow, amazing. Um, next question would be about your name. It's a very interesting name, Lord Ruffington. How did that come to be? Is it your own name or is it your something that you have created and chosen? It's, uh, it's all made up. Uh, the Lord, there's two components. The Lord comes from a... Um, Lord comes from um, an, an inside joke uh, in my old company. My business partner used to call me a Lord because I always wore shirts, etc. And uh, uh, we registered uh, the office lease and uh, he put me down as a Lord instead of Mr. So that, that's a <laughs> Lord joke. Uh, and Traffington is a British, 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 Britishized version of my Italian last name, let's say. Oh. Um, so that's when it started. It's an account that I, uh, I used to play poker. Uh, I used to play a lot of online poker. And uh, that was my name back then. Uh, like, you're 
from 2020. And then I had this Twitter account, which had like 200, 200 followers. And when I started NFTs, I made that my NFT account. I unfollowed everybody and I just started from zero, basically beginning of last year. And Do you like truffles? I, I like truffles, of course. Of course. <laughs> And I built my brand around, you know, talking about brands, my brand around uh, Lord Truffington. And so I go to NFT events and I am Lord Truffington. I'm not my given name and last name. (laughs) I was in a a dinner very recently with a lot of art people and gallery directors and curators and and I introduced myself. There were some NFT people as well. I introduced myself as Lord Traffington. And people were like, that's not your real name. And I'm like, oh, yeah. what's the like, So you met the normies and called out your name. I'm not going to disclose. I, it's, uh, I know it might be something difficult to understand, but in our space, in our NFT world, there is, um, you know, I have a brand and the brand is Lord Traffington. And so, that's how I associate myself with. Uh, if I told you my name tomorrow, you will not remember. Because this is true. You will not remember tomorrow the name I gave you because you wouldn't be able to find me anywhere. So yeah. with Lord Truffington, you know that on any social media and any platform there is, there is a Lord Truffington and that's me. I'm so, not on TikTok, so <laughs> not, not that yet. Out. Talking about truffles, uh, I have always had truffle flavored cakes or something like that. I was seeing a video of how truffles are actually found. They are this black kind of things that dogs have to go and dig out of some ground. Yeah, so, yeah. And they are very expensive. So, Incredibly expensive. Incredibly. They are very rare. Truffles. <laughs> that's why my, my NFT spotlight is called Trust Truffles because finding a truffle is a fun, it's like a gem, it's like a treasure. Of course. Exactly. So, have you had it? How does it taste, or is it on your bucket list? Oh yeah, yeah, have, yeah. But truffles are uh, especially from Italy. So yeah, we oh. have, um, yeah, yeah. They are from the northern. There is actually one town where there are a lot of truffles around, and that's the season where yeah. So I had a lot of truffles in uh, truffles with pasta, truffles on. Uh, um, I mean, you can have truffle infused oils and things like these and pate etc but generally it's uh, <laughs> a big pasta great how does it taste amazing i don't know i don't know how to describe it it's um, is it like a fruit is it like a mushroom like or a is it mushroom but it's like a mushroom that gets grated for instance on top of pasta and <laughs> it's a very um it's a very, uh, it's a strong flavor, uh, mm. stronger than I think a mushroom probably. Um, but it has a, yeah, again, it's got, it's not cooked. It doesn't have a consistency of something that is texturally <laughs> or harder. That's very interesting. I'll have to uh, drive down to Italy or fly down to Italy to taste the Leonon because I always recall truffles as a truffle cake. So, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Uh, chocolate, cocoa, truffles. All right. So, um, what is your topic for NFT London? What, what are you going to be talking topic? about? Um, how to build a brand in the NFT space. Let's go. And we just talked about brands. About your your uh, your per- no how to build a personal brand. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, I admit I have not done a lot on um, on the preparation of my talk, uh, but yeah, this weekend will be will be the time. Uh, it will be it will be very interesting. I look forward to meeting. So you're coming? Yes, in person. So I look forward to meeting you in person. I had one question that was bothering me from two days: what to wear because. Um, in Indian in conference, I had worn a kurta that is a traditional Indian wear I was comfortable in. But when I see videos of NFT London, they are, NFT New York, they are all like um, informal clothes. So how is uh, how is? So just just so you know, I have two kurtas at home. Oh wow, that's amazing! Because I, I went to a, a fantastic Indian wedding back then, ten years ago, and. I, I bought them. I still have them, uh, but it's um, I no. It's as informal. I mean, you can come with flip flops and shorts and uh, and t-shirts. Now, don't do that because it's November in London. It's very cold. But uh, <laughs> if you want it, it's incredibly informal and uh, um, yeah, very very informal. So nobody are you going to be? Actually, nobody actually really minds or cares what people wear. Will you be putting on a blazer or? Are you going to... But that's that's the Lord. The Lord always says. No, exactly. So, but that's me. Um, uh, no, but it's very very informal. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, what what do you do for uh, fun? So these are time for some rapid fire questions. What do you for, what do you do for fun? NFTs. I look at art. I find art NFTs. I want to buy. That's my fun. Uh, <laughs> I, I go out shooting a lot now. Like in the last few months, I've, I go out shooting with my camera. Hmm. Yeah, you should mention shooting with camera. Otherwise, it's hunting and <laughs> those kind of shooting. Uh, but yes, uh, senior photos also with your Fiji camera on, uh, you're going out to click somewhere that was so cool. All right. So what are the things that you enjoy doing in London? Uh, well, apart from going out there and taking pictures that London is a fantastic place for, um, I love going out to restaurants. I love, I'm a big foodie. I love to try new food, every different type of cuisines and London offers everything, everything you want. So that's, that's brilliant. You said you're dangerously curious. So why dangerous? And then, uh, then the next question. I'm yeah, very passionate about things and I want to dive deep into, uh, into those. And um, I always, uh, yeah, it becomes a, a time sinkhole where I lose a lot of time learning about things and reading and become passionate. And then I want to talk to everybody about what I'm learning and, uh, and et cetera. Uh, it, it's, um, yeah, you know, as I say, curiosity kills the cat. So I hope it will not kill me, but I definitely am very, very curious. I love, I love to learn. <laughs> so what are, what are you currently curious about? Uh, photography, technical photography. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading a lot of photography, learning photography and editing, Photoshop editing. That's what I'm, I'm doing right now. Like uh, in an obsessive way, I'm just watching video, doing courses, reading books, uh, uh, and and then shooting and editing, so it's taking a lot of my time right now. Wow, uh, what's on your bucket list next? Ooh, who? 
I don't know. Um, I would like to become a very good photographer. Like a, 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 I would like to become a very good photographer. Yeah. Name three people living or dead that you would like to have lunch with. Uh, Elon Musk, probably. Uh, uh, I don't know. That's a difficult one. I don't have, um, I'm not, I'm never, I'm not starstruck. So I recognize that everybody is just a man, just a person. They have flows. They are, they might be famous for something, but they also have a million other flows. Um, probably not someone from the past. Uh, um, Sam Harris. Sam Harris, the, the, the podcaster, neuroscience and scientist and podcaster. Uh, up, yeah, definitely. Probably Sam Harris would be top of my list uh, before everybody else. Um, so Elon Musk, Sam Harris, uh, third person, I don't know. One more. Um, I mean, let's go with maybe someone from the entertainment space. Um, There's somebody who you want to talk to, uh, have a good time or. No, no, actually someone that is inspiring me. Maybe I'm at David Attenborough, the BBC documentary documentary guru. Um, it's actually quite old already. So I, yeah, that would be amazing. And um, now the question. I know that the life experiences that he has had, it blows your mind. What question it, would you ask? One question that it, you would ask these three? Your secret in life. Have you, what, like, what is your secret in life? So this common question to everybody or a different question yeah. to different oh, person? No, I, the three of them I would definitely ask uh, was one person. I would, I would ask them and see everybody will tell you the first thing that they had that in their mind that is part of their narrative and part of what is important for them. So I'd like to hear that. So what is your secret in life? <laughs> always learn. Always learn. Always keep growing. You're never, you're never done. There is always something new to learn and have the open-mindedness to actually embrace it and just learn something new. Keep growing. What advice would you like to give your younger self? Say 20 year old self. Uh, Everything will be fine you will stress about the little things and it's normal, but never lose sight of the fact that everything at the end will be fine. Believe in yourself. You, you, you'll do great. Awesome. 
What is your favorite movie? Oh, The Matrix. It's the one I've watched the most times in my whole life since, since whatever, 1998 when it came out. Uh, what is your favorite book? Uh, Sapiens. You oh, know. I love that. Yeah. You all know Harari Sapiens. Yeah. Absolutely amazing book. History of everything. Yeah. Any social or charitable causes that are close to your heart? Uh, not, not one, not, not particularly. Um, I admire and respect anything that works towards alleviating pain and suffering in people. Mm. So, I would always go to in that direction towards other things, more environmental or, um, I don't know, animal welfare, things like this. I would prefer something that, so either children, um, again, or helping even the research or people that are sick. All right. Uh, so Lord Truffington, thank you so much for coming on the show. Any final thoughts or words for our viewers, listeners? Um, no, I would just say, please be helpful and supportive to each other. As I said, that, as I said earlier, we are, we are all part of this community and this community will live or die based on our individual actions, which mm. together will actually make a difference. So always be nice and, and help up the other person next to you. Absolutely. So thank you so much for coming, uh, giving us your time and sharing such amazing insights. Um, and we'll definitely see you around uh, for the viewers. I'm, I'll be at, attaching all the links uh, for reaching Lord Truffington, including that website that I shared in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to yet another episode. See you in the next one. And like always, what is a pizza without cheese? And what is your collection without a Tanmay NFT? So get one today and support the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much.